Welcome to SVCC Weekly, a weekly podcast from Sangamon Valley Christian Center in Muhammad, Illinois. We hope you enjoy this message from our church, and be sure to check us out online at www.sangamonvalley.net. It also, I think, brings us maybe even to the question of, well, as part of casting out demons and sickness really go all the way back to the fall and evil itself? Yes, that's what I believe. And so here, that's why they're all kind of always lumped together, because in the end, whose fault is it that there's sickness in the world? Well, you and me, ultimately humanity, because we chose to disobey God back in the garden. But really, it is because of sin and death that was allowed to enter the world because of what we did in disobeying God. But all sickness, I believe, and really the demonic, ultimately are tied together. But on to the next point. The first is this, that the kingdom of God is represented by people, by you and me. Jesus teaches that. He makes that clear. He appoints 12 and he sends them out. He appoints others later on and sends them out. And then at the end of the book, as we read last week, as we skipped ahead, he ultimately sends all those who believe in him out with signs that are to follow them. Number two. Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God is mysterious to outsiders. It's mysterious. If you jump down to Mark 4, 11, here he's going to be teaching in Mark 4 about the parable of the sower. Our OSL level 3 class, that's one of the teachings they go through right now, is that the sower sows the word. But here, Mark kind of explains why Jesus is teaching in parables. A parable is just the story kind of conceals some of the main points. says there are some main points that everybody can get, but there's some deeper things here, some mysterious things. And, it, and he says in Mark 4, 11, it says, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, talking to his, the 12 that are there, his followers. Really to the followers, the, it's, it's been appointed for you to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. If we follow Jesus, it's not supposed to be mysterious for you and me. He goes on, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, as if he's saying, look, it's still going to be mysterious to them. They aren't going to be able to fully grasp what I'm teaching. For those of you that have been following Jesus long and sharing it with others, isn't that a true statement? It is mysterious to those outside. It still is. Part of our job as believers is to come and say, okay, God, what are you saying here? Teach me. Teach me what you're saying so that we can fully grasp this mystery of the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and he, and he teaches them in some other parables about the kingdom of God. He goes on and, and he tells them two things about the kingdom of God. They're to know so that they're to know the mystery of the kingdom. Here, here are two, two kind of things for you to grasp, he says, about the kingdom. The first is, is to picture it as a seed that is sown says the kingdom of God in Mark 4.26. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He comes and he scatters seed. Eventually a harvest is going to come, but most people would see that and know, okay, yeah, okay, seed scatter, eventually a harvest is going to come. But Jesus here is really talking about something a little bit different, something a little more mysterious. In fact, we would say that Jesus' ministry that's here in this little place called Galilee doesn't look like the sort of kingdom of God movement people were expecting. 
seeds are being sown, but it's not looking as if what people are going to expect when harvest time comes. It was, in fact, the seed time for God's long-promised and long-awaited harvest. The seed had been sown really already. The seed was presently being sown, but really what Jesus ends up saying is the harvest is here. The seeds that have been sown, what people would least expect, is coming to pass. It goes on, and we could say that people wouldn't, wouldn't be able to, to see how God's promise planted would grow from really the seeds that Jesus had planted previously, the Old Testament that he was planting at present, but it would grow and harvest would come. We could summarize the name of it down to this, don't despise small beginnings. Jesus, this boy from Nazareth, most would not expect him, this boy born in a manger, a stable, this boy who really ended up going down to Egypt with his family for protection that came back. This small beginning, this is where the kingdom of God is coming from and being proclaimed. Our power is being demonstrated where it's going to be passed on. This is the son of God, the seed that is sown. The next parable is the, the parable of the mustard seed. It's the next one I want to talk about. In Mark 4.30, he says to them, to, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? What's the picture that we're to have? And he goes back to really a seed again. This time he specifically talks about the mustard seed. The mustard seed. The mustard seed probably tells us, don't worry, don't worry. He's saying, look, look, don't worry, remember, who your God is and what he has promised. Just as the mustard seed is that smallest seed that's planted and eventually it grows and, and really overtakes things. Realize that this, this small beginning is the start of God's intended kingdom. This small beginning, this, this, this man I am, the king here in Galilee is starting something amazing. The kingdom that will eventually offer really shade, we could say, to the whole world. It's going to overtake. We could look at history since Jesus came and died at the cross. We can look to history and say that it really began with a small group of people, probably about the size of those of us gathered in this room today that were praying together, scared to death, that then went out empowered by the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the word of God, saying the promise from the Old Testament that, that was promised in Joel was happening. And then they went throughout the whole world. We're still continuing that today, but it's no longer a hundred and twenty. We're millions today. Millions today. We're seeing the fulfillment today of that mustard seed, that small beginning that has continued to grow and grow and grow. Do we get those mysteries of the kingdom? The kingdom that is different than other places. The kingdom was different than what they were expecting. Or is it still mysterious to us? See, I think for us it's to say, no, we understand the power of the kingdom. It's not mysterious. God is moving. He has been and he continues today. Do we understand that? When we see small beginnings today, do we think God can't do anything there? Or do we say, wow, that's just how God moves. 
small beginnings. When we see something, we say, how's God going to move here? Do we question it? Or do we say, small beginnings, that's how God moves? How, how do we picture it? In the positive or in the negative? The third thing, the kingdom of God's king is really the king of creation. Mark 4, if you go down to, well, let's start at verse 35. After he gets done giving them pictures of what the kingdom of God is like, showing them it's different than any other kingdom they've really thought was coming, any other kingdom of the world. Comes down, it says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and, and other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? As I've said before, and one preacher said, and I just love it, notice that whenever the disciples are freaking out, where's Jesus? He's asleep somewhere. And many of us kind of think we need to be working hard and striving and, and, oh no, I'm worried about things. I need to work harder. I need to work harder. I need to try harder. And yet, Jesus' model is when the disciples are freaking out, he's sound asleep. I pray that may be true of all of us. We may find that type of peace in the Lord. But on to verse 39. It says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, they couldn't understand that Jesus' authority as the Son of God really is demonstrating here he's also the king over creation. See, because he's the king over creation, he can go to the see he can go to the storm and say stop it which isn't how he says it he says peace be still i think it's demonstrating for us that this kingdom of god what we have to understand is the kingdom of god's king who's going to be the savior king as we read the story he's also the king over creation it's demonstrating that he is above and beyond creation and yet he's chosen to step down into his creation for you and me to become our savior it's initial glimpse of that do we catch that the kingdom of god's king is also the king of creation he's stepping down into the 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 one who's in charge has come in the form of his creation to save us that we may have a relationship with him the fourth thing, the kingdom of God is accompanied by signs, by signs. We talked about some of those last week. Chapter 5 and into chapter 6 gives us several of these, several. So let me just read you a, a, a few of them. Mark five thirteen. it says, And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirit went out and entered the swine. All right, he goes to this, this place and there's this, 
this man and there's the demons in him and he says, what's your name? And they say legion because that means many. And Jesus has a conversation with demons, so can demons speak? Appears so. Jesus has a conversation with them right there. They give, they give them a name. And it says he gave them permission. He permitted them to go out to the, the swine, really. It says, then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. So maybe that's telling us there's about 2,000 demons in this man. And then the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. You go down two more verses, and it says, Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Remember, this is God who says to the storm, Peace, be still. And now we have an example of somebody whose mind is no longer crazy, but someone who is now clothed and in his right mind. And their response says, and they were afraid. They were afraid. Come down to Mark 5.23. Here Jesus comes and there's a message that's brought that says, come, we, we, we have this girl that needs healing. And on the way, the woman that has an issue with blood comes and touches them of his garment and Power goes out from him. He feels it, and he says, power went out from me, and she's healed. And we have this, and it says in 523, it says, and, and they begged him earnestly, saying, my, my little, little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. I would encourage you, and I've said this on a few other things, but as you're reading through, especially this section of Scripture today through the end, one thing that Mark makes clear over and over again is when there are sick, he often uses the phrase or others say it about laying your hands on them. This person that's now coming and asking him to come and heal the, the little girl that's really 12 years old, come and lay your hands. They know that there's something about Jesus' hands that's being laid on. And then in the midst of this story, Come down to Mark 5, 27, right after the plea. It says, and when she had heard about Jesus, now talking about the woman with the flow of blood, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Touched his garment. So now there's something interesting happening that, that again, you'll see throughout Mark, and, and I would encourage you to underline the passages about Jesus and really the laying on of hands. Now it's not just come and please touch my daughter, she may be well. But now it's also demonstrated this woman had such faith she came and touched the hem of his garment and was healed. There's something significant I think Mark is trying to tell us. Then we finally come down to Mark 5, verse 30. Yes, I know I'm skipping around, but remember I'm encouraging you already to have read this before we get here on Sunday. It says, and Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? Something significant there about the Jesus laying on of hands, something significant there about the woman who reaches out and touches them of his garment. Then we come down to the end of the story because don't forget there's still this little girl 
that needs healed. A woman that had the issue of flow of blood for 12 years reaches out, touches them, is healed. But the girl that is 12 years old really has now passed away. When Jesus comes to the house and tells him, don't worry, she's sleeping. Then Mark 5, 41 to 42, he says, Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. See, the kingdom of God is accompanied by signs. Jesus teaches it's, it's like nothing else you've ever thought it would be, like no other kingdom of the world. And then he comes and he demonstrates he, that he is the rightful king because he's the king over creation. He can say to the storm, peace, be still. And now he comes and he shows the signs and wonders of the kingdom, what he's instructed the 12 to do. He appointed 12 that he might send them out to cast out demons. Part of that, I think, is healing. And he shows what that means by healing the one with the issue of blood, now healing this child, casting out of the demon. It's interesting as well that in the casting out of the demon, the legion, the demon, there's so many they want to be called legion, thinking maybe they're so powerful that the response of that crowd, Scripture tells us, is they were afraid. Mark 5.15, they were afraid. Different response to the signs of the kingdom than the response of the signs of the kingdom when the little girl is healed or raised from the dead, whichever it may be. The response there in verse 5.42 says, and they were overcome with great amazement. Two different choices. Afraid, amazement. How do we respond to the kingdom of God and the power of the kingdom? Are we afraid or is there amazement? Those who are afraid, ultimately, they ask Jesus to leave. They don't really want to see this happening. Different than that of the little girl who was healed. So the kingdom, Jesus makes clear as he teaches and he proclaims the kingdom, it's here. He, he makes clear, look, this kingdom is going to end up being represented by you. That's why he says, I appointed 12, that I might send them out as well to preach and to see demons cast out. And then he goes on and he begins teaching them about the kingdom. He says, look, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. It's given to you to know that this kingdom is different than anything else. He goes on and he really demonstrates that first by showing that he's the king over creation. He's that king that was over everything and yet has stepped down in now and will become the savior king. Then it goes on and Jesus demonstrates for them that the kingdom comes in power. That they too are, have been called to cast out demons and he shows them, look, demons are cast out. The sick are made well. So many of us, and after talking about last week the authority of Jesus, probably come to this question. What should our response be when we don't see the signs that go along with the kingdom of God? If the casting out of demons, if healing isn't there, what should be the signs? Why, why, why don't we see these signs? 
Why don't we see them? Well, just to stick to Scripture, not to our experience as the story goes, I think there's a little bit of a glimpse of why. I don't think this is probably the only reason why, but this is probably a big part of it from time to time. Now, I'm going to read this and make several comments. None of these are to be guilt, please. That would not be of the kingdom of God. So if you start saying, ooh, I'm guilty of that, don't, don't worry. Just say, okay, Jesus, come and make this so in our lives. This, is, this isn't to be a time to feel that way. But let us see what happens when Jesus now goes to his own town. You're probably familiar with this story, but Mark 6 says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that, he, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Remember, something significant Mark is trying to show us here. Then verse 3, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Sounds like Jesus has a large family, doesn't it? So they were offended at him. Notice, they don't come in and like the demons even say, you're the son of God. No, it comes in and says, isn't this the carpenter? The builder? Isn't this the son of Mary? Joseph must be gone by now. The brother of James lists them off and, and then ignores the females, just says sisters. Here they don't recognize who he is, like even the demons do. They, they had obviously been aware of what he had been doing because they knew about the miracles that were being performed by his hand. They had clearly heard the stories. The other towns, the rumor mill had already begun. People had gone from place to place talking about him, and it's as if they're coming and saying, let's put him in his place. This is just the builder, Mary and all these other boys. Mary's son and brother of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. But what does Jesus do in verse 4? He says, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. They were offended by him. Offended. It says, he couldn't do any miracles, but I do like that then it goes on and it says, oh, well, he could do a few. Tells us that what Jesus would typically have done because of the condition of these people's heart, maybe we could say, the offense, their unbelief, it clearly says, he could only do a few. It's interesting that clearly miracles and the work that Jesus did by his own hand is limited. It means you and I can limit it. 
Now, I believe God is bigger than all of that, and that's part of why it comes down and says, oh, but he still did a few, as if to say, yeah, but he's bigger. He can still do some things. Makes it clear. And yet it ties in that component of, are we offended? Do we believe or do we not believe? And then Jesus, it says, went on teaching. Doesn't say he went on here healing, although he probably did. Says he went on teaching. So I think that's really our response when we don't see the signs that go along with the kingdom of God should be three things, straight from this section of Scripture. The first, we should live without being offended at Jesus or others because being offended clearly limits what God will do for you and others. Do we live offended at Jesus? And, I, and again, I think we can include there some other people, Jesus being the most important. But if we live in that spirit of offense, I think it applies to Jesus as well as others. That limits what God can do. Number two, we do need to live believing in, in healing and the freedom, that freedom that comes by the casting out of demons that God has provided for those of us that, that belong to him and continue today. We need to continue today laying hands on the sick. Now, as I pointed out, we need to be underlining and circling and seeing how when God laid hands on the sick, that's important. In part, because there's something about scripture that when it talks about really the finger, the hand of God, is a sign of the power of God. So I think it, it, Mark is making that clear as we go throughout. You and I are empowered by the Holy Spirit, but sometimes people get a little bit freaky, let's be honest, and they think it's all of a sudden becomes, I'm a believer, and so now it's all about my hand. Because scripture does say, go lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The end of Mark, we read that last week. But we can't all of a sudden get a little creepy and start thinking my hand all of a sudden now is the magic wand of the spirit of God. You've seen people like that, let's be honest. There's one preacher who I, I think has come a long way from this, and I've heard some people that were in a room when some correction happened, but he was even known for taking his coat off and flinging it around, thinking this is the magic wand. He went from just his hand to now he's going to use his suit coat jacket. And there's some really fun YouTube videos with now as if he's Darth Vader. But that's what people all of a sudden start doing. Sometimes I wonder, is God honoring that or what is going on? Because that's never what scripture really tells us to do. It's not a, a, a magic wand, no. The power of God is what moves. When I, when I come and lay hands, it's because scripture tells us. And to Mark, lay hands on the sick. You go to James, it says, call for the elders of the church to lay hands. It's part of why I ask you as a church is to stretch out your hands when we pray for people. Because let's be honest, if all 100 of us or so that are in this room came up and we all laid hands on one person, one, we need to start asking, did you put on deodorant today? Because if not, when people start falling over, we're going to think, oh, it's the spirit moving. No, it's just we kind of are stinky. There's, you know, right, there's practical things. But part of why I ask you to stretch out your hands when we pray is for you to say, okay, I'm joining in with this spirit of God, you move. It's not our hands at all. 
But we do see scripture does call us to come lay hands on the sick. We join, I think, also in prayer sometimes. And I ask you to stretch out your hand. Let's, let's pray together. There's no magic there. Now, I know most of us don't think that. I just want to make that clear. We also, number three, we have to do teach what God's word promises in response to those who are offended and unbelieving. Jesus, what did he do when he was done there? He went in a circuit teaching. His response to their offense, their unbelief, as he goes on to some other places, probably still in the same general area, probably still relatives in some of the places he went because he clearly has a large family. And he goes about teaching. It's what we do. When we don't see the signs of the kingdom, what do we come back to? What does God's word says? In all areas of our life, that's what we have to come back to. What does God's word say? The kingdom of God. It's here, it's present. It's at hand. Something's at hand, as I've said before. Where is it? It's right here, it's at hand. We go to eat after church, you order dessert, you stick it in your hand. What does that mean? It's going in your mouth. Right? It's here. It's at hand. The kingdom of God. It's present. It's here today. It's been bestowed now upon us as believers. Do we believe? Do we believe in the king and his kingdom? Do we believe in the power of the king and his kingdom? That's why the spirit comes and empowers us. Empowers us. It's here today for for us still. We'll ask worship team to go ahead and make their way forward. And will you go ahead and stand with us this morning? And I encourage you to really ask yourself, am I offended? Am I offended at Jesus? Am I offended at other brothers and sisters? Is there offense there that I have I need to ask for forgiveness for? Sometimes when we're, we're offended, it's really us putting ourselves above God, saying, eh, I have a right to this. And yet, really, the king of creation who stepped down into creation came and died for you and me, and you and I are offended at others and think we can live above even what Jesus did? Pfft, how high and mighty are you? No, we have to come and say, no, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to live with offense. Do I have offense? First of all, Jesus, and then I think we have to ask about others. Number two, are we living, believing in Jesus and in the power that Jesus says is available even today? And then three, if we question any of that, let's open his word and continue to read it and say, Jesus, teach me. Teach me what's available, what you've made available, what you've given to us today. Amen, will you join us as we sing? If you need to come forward and use the altar. Thank you for listening to SBCC Weekly. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast as well as give us a like. You can visit us again online at www.sagamonvalley.net.